Hey, this is Dow Welsh, pastor of Holland Avenue Baptist Church. We had some technical difficulties Sunday morning, and our recording wasn't very clear on the sermon. So for the purposes of our website and our podcast, I'm just going to take my sermon notes and just have a teaching time for our post this week. We appreciate you listening. So have you ever been hangry? Hangry is when you get so hungry it puts you in a bad mood. And everyone around you knows that you're in a bad mood. But is hangry a real thing? Are you really not you when you're hungry? A recent study out of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill reveals that hangry may not be just a Snickers wrapper. The researchers performed some hunger experiments that showed that the hungrier people were, they were more inclined to be negative or unpleasant. They did some other experiments where they found that the hungrier people were more inclined to get stressed out a lot quicker. In general, their whole study showed that feeling hungry can raise levels of negative emotions like being angry or being stressed out or being disgusted with something. Jennifer McCormick, a doctoral student who was the lead author of the study, said this, By better understanding the factors that lead us to become hangry, We can give people the tools to recognize when hunger is impacting their feelings and behaviors. Now, I know the tools I need when I'm hangry. I need bacon and I need cake. Those are great tools for me when I get hangry. I know bacon and cake will help me no longer be hangry. But you know, there is a type of hunger that won't lead you to being hangry. It's a a hunger that doesn't move you toward negative emotions. It actually moves you toward desperation. We're talking about the hunger of your soul. When your soul is, is longing to be satisfied. When your soul is hungry for what will satisfy it the most. What kind of hunger is that? Well, One day Jesus was teaching a crowd of people and he was telling them a parable. A parable is a story with an important truth for life. His parable was about a young man who went to his father and demanded his inheritance. Basically, he stood right in front of his dad and he said, You know what? If you were dead, I could have the money that's coming to me. And then I'd be free. And then I could get out of this house and I could go live my life the way I want to live my life. Contrary to the norms and the customs of that day, the father actually gave him his share. And the son launched out on his own, went to a faraway distant country, and he squandered every last dime of his money on things like fast cars and strong drink and loose women and lots of gambling and gadgets and concerts and events. And no sooner than he lost all of his money than a severe famine hit the country that he was in. So it's not just that he was desperate, now everybody in the country was desperate. He found some kind of job feeding pigs and and Dally didn't pay enough because he couldn't even buy food for himself. And his boss would not let him eat the food that he was feeding the pigs. That's desperate. He was a young man who wanted to be free from his father's house. He wanted to be free from his father's ways. He wanted to be free from his father's rules. He wanted to be free to live his life however he wanted to live. So he got that freedom. And he blew it. He wasted all of his freedom. So what happened to him next? Listen to Luke 15, verse 17. But when he came to his senses, 
24 years ago, I was driving from Arkansas to South Carolina for a wedding. I left at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Friday, and by 6 o'clock, I was starting to feel a little bit sleepy. And so I didn't know what else to do to keep myself awake other than talk to myself, like out loud. I remember getting to the big bridge that goes over the Mississippi River right in Memphis and the sun was just coming up and it was shining in my eyes and I was telling myself some really bad joke and just started laughing out loud. I was thinking if anybody drove by me right now, they would be thinking I had completely lost my mind. But you know, it's funny, but my bad jokes and talking to myself and laughing at myself, it kept me awake. In other words, it looked like if you rode by me, I didn't have a lick of sense. But actually what I was doing and talking to myself was keeping me safe. This son, he started talking to himself a a long time before he stood in front of his dad. His first conversation sounded something like this. I'm so sick of being around my dad. He's so lame. I'm so tired of of doing what he does. I'm, I'm so tired of his rules. I'm tired of, of living at his house. I'm, I'm tired of living in this boring town. I, I want my freedom. I want my money. I want to go do things my way. That's how he started talking to himself. And he convinced himself that he was right. He convinced himself that his dad was really keeping him back and holding him down with, with all of his rules and his advice and his counsel. Yeah, this son, he wanted out. And so one day, filled with a heart of rude, unloving, uncaring selfishness, he walked up to his dad. He demanded the money that was coming to him. And he got it. And he kept talking to himself. He convinced himself that he was right. He convinced himself that he was free. He convinced himself that now it was time for him to go live a little. And he didn't just live a little. He lived it up a lot. And the whole time he was living it up, he was still talking to himself. He was saying, yeah, this is what life is supposed to be about. This is what I'm talking about. This is my freedom. This is how I should be living. Two weeks ago, the world was shocked to hear that the intriguing and entertaining and endearing chef and world traveler, Anthony Bourdain, had taken his life. Sadly, he seemed to share some of the same ideas that this son had about living life. In his book, Kitchen Confidential, Bourdain wrote, Your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. The Apostle Paul had some interesting and opposite thoughts. He wrote this to the folks at the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, just because you have freedom doesn't mean that you should use your freedom any way that you want. Using your freedom any way you want to use your freedom does not mean it's going to be profitable for you or profitable for anybody else around you. In fact, using your freedom any way you want to use your freedom might land you face down in some pig slop, miserable and desperate at a distant, far country. A far country, far away from the home that you hated and the father that you hated, the rules that you hated and the life that you hated. You see, just because you can take your body to the proverbial amusement parks of life and ride the rides of fun and sinful pleasure and immorality, it doesn't mean that you should. 
In fact, Paul goes on to give this advice down in verse 18. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And then verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? And when we talk about your, your body being a temple, we're not, not saying that you can only leave your house for work or only leave your house for school. We're not saying that, that if your body is a, a temple, that the only thing you can eat is unleavened bread and olives, and you can only drink healing springs water that you bottle yourself. No, that's, that's not what's happening. In a world of sin and poverty, and because of the various commands of Jesus, yes, we do need to be wise with extravagance. But traveling the world and eating exotic foods is not evil. So with that disclaimer, why should you go the route of the temple instead of the route of the amusement park? Well, Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been redeemed, you have been purchased, you have been bought by Christ. Charles Spurgeon said this, redemption is our chief blessing. Nothing better can be said of you than this. Ye are bought with a price. He goes on to say this, an angel sent from heaven could not bring to any man or woman here a more delightful message than this. Thou art bought with a price, even with the precious blood of Christ. See, the reason we, we fight to stay on the route of the temple instead of the route of the amusement park is because Jesus has bought us with his own precious blood. And make no mistake, this is a fight. The temptations and pleasures of sin and immorality and foolishness and greed, they are strong. And we will all have moments when at the very least, our minds will be in the amusement park. Our bodies may not be there, but our, our minds will be there. But here's what we do. We, we fight. We repent. We confess. We, we pray for mercy and grace and strength because we know that Jesus, our Savior, our friend, our Redeemer, our King, He is still saving and helping and keeping and loving. To be redeemed by Jesus Christ is the chief blessing in the universe. To be redeemed by Jesus Christ is the best news ever. But the opposite is also true. Spurgeon goes on to say, Bought with a price makes existence life. To be unredeemed would make existence an endless death. Listen, if you've never repented, if you've never turned to Christ, I would plead with you to come to him now so that the song of your soul will not be endless death, but the song of your soul would be endless life, life that is abundant and free. You see, the amusement park of immorality promises us pleasure and freedom, and it delivers It'll give it to you, but only temporarily. 
The only thing it can provide permanently is endless death. Anthony Bourdain also said this, I was raised without religion. I don't believe in any higher power. I'm hostile to any kind of devotion. Certainty is my enemy. Pastor Greg Laurie has a gracious and powerful response. He writes, I too was raised without religion. My mother was married and divorced seven times. And on top of that, she was a raging alcoholic. She would drink every night until she passed out. I had to grow up fast, and in some ways I had to be a parent to my parent. That strange upbringing sent me on a search. I was asking the questions, what is the meaning of life? Why am I so empty? What happens after I die? And then he says this, I found the answers to those questions in an encounter with Jesus Christ. I didn't find it in religion. I found it in a relationship with Jesus. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus Christ? If so, it should change the way you talk to yourself. It should change the way you preach to yourself. See, you should be talking to yourself about the gospel. You should be preaching the gospel to yourself over and over and over again. That's why it's called good news. Greg Laurie shares a few other thoughts. He writes, doesn't traveling the globe open up a treasure trove of insight and understanding? Perhaps, but it also could reveal that there is nothing there once you get there. He goes on, it surprises us that the rich and famous live lives that have the potential to be just as miserable as the rest of the world, and sometimes theirs are even worse. How could that be? I think it's because of their unique perspective. They have experienced all the riches and wonders of the world and have seen the sheer emptiness of it all. He goes on, regardless of how full your wallet or passport is, your heart can be empty, lonely, and completely broken. There can be a certain pleasure in just chasing after whatever you desire. The Bible speaks of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a moment. There is that initial high that can come from that first sexual experience or the excitement from drugs or booze. But of course, we all know that there are those nasty repercussions that follow. Eventually, you have to face the consequences, not only in this life, but in the life to come as well. After the initial rush and excitement, a numb deadness kicks in. And then he says this, If you're looking to live for pleasure, you will find it's one of the most unpleasable things you can ever do. The son, the prodigal, found that his pleasure, his freedom, became one of the most unpleasable things he had ever done. Nancy Flory is a mother of four. She also responded to Bourdain's death. She writes, I'm overwhelmed with sadness for his loss and for the loss of fashion designer Kate Spade. The words that come to mind are senseless and utterly unnecessary. I may not know their specific struggle, but I know mine. She goes on, I struggle with depression. Some days it's hard to get out of bed. Some days I'm fine. 
It's been a long time since I had suicidal thoughts or ideation. I thank God for that. Some struggle alone, especially celebrities whose very livelihood depends on keeping up their image. Depression is not an image most celebrities want to portray. Should a celebrity's depression become public, they may not get the next gig, or they could lose fans. Perhaps they feel that people would look at them like they're crazy. I can tell you from my own life, suicide is not the answer. As the saying goes, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And then she goes on to to share what we might call the way that she talks to herself, how she preaches to herself. She writes, although I struggle with depression, I know that God loves me endlessly. He tells me that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He knit me together in my mother's womb. Even better, he saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in his book before one of them came to be. Even the very hairs of my head are all numbered. It's a good way to preach to yourself. Then she says this. Sometimes it seems there's no way out of a situation. Sometimes all those biblical promises sound empty, like they may be meant for someone else, but they're not meant for you. Ever been there? Ever felt that way? Maybe you're feeling that way right now as you're listening to this. But she goes on. But there is an answer. Jesus. He alone can take me from the lowest lows to the highest highs, and he has. When I was at my lowest point, when depression overwhelmed me as my marriage failed, I cried out to him. He comforted me and stayed with me. As I leaned into his love, I felt the peace that passes all understanding. And then she says this, Now I know to turn to Jesus the moment my thoughts go dark. He still holds me and loves me endlessly. You know, there's only two routes. There's only two paths. There's the path of temporary pleasure. In other words, temporary pleasure and endless death on the rides of the amusement park of immorality. That's one path. That's one route. Or there's the route of endless love and endless life leaning into the perfectly satisfying and saving arms of Jesus. So which way are you leaning? Which route are you taking? Which path are you on? How are you talking to yourself? How are you preaching to yourself? The son, the prodigal, he was preaching to himself that he needed to be free. He was telling himself that he deserved to be riding on the rides in the amusement park of pleasure. And he convinced himself he was right, and he spent some time riding those rides. But then, as sin always does, because sin is a liar, his ride crashed and burned. Now, in the middle of crashing and burning, the the son was still talking to himself. But this time it it sounded different. Listen again to Luke 15, verse 17. But when he came to his senses, 
came to his senses. He's, he's sitting there in the middle of all this pig slop, and he's like, what am I doing here? Ray Pritchard said this, sin is senseless. Sin is a form of temporarily, temporary spiritual insanity. Turning away from God is insanity because you're turning away from that which is good to that which is bad. From that which is worth everything to that which is worth nothing. From that which has eternal value to that which has no value. You are turning away from living water so you can drink out of the sewer. That is the definition of insanity. So let me ask you a question. Are you, are you insane? <laughs> I'm not talking about being muy loco here. I mean, are you, are you thinking like the prodigal son? Are you talking to yourself like the prodigal son? Are you preaching to yourself like the prodigal son? Are you living like the prodigal son? Are you dabbling on the rides of immorality? Or have you bought a season pass to the whole amusement park? Take a moment and just think about the normal habits of your life. Just the, the normal ways that you do things. The normal routines of life. And think about those things and, and ask yourself if you see anything in your life that looks like the deeds of the flesh. That's what the Apostle Paul called them. And writing to the church at Galatia, he, he described these deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. Just, just kind of listen to this list and and try to think as you listen if, if you can hear yourself anywhere in here. He described adultery, fornication, impurity, being sexually unclean, being verbally unclean, being financially unclean. He talked about sensuality, public indecency, flaunting lustful attitudes with what you wear and, and what you say and how you live and how you act. Idolatry. Worshiping something or someone else in place of God. Finding your identity in something or someone other than God. He talked about sorcery, which sounds like a weird word to us, but, but it means worshiping things that are evil. Finding your identity in things that are evil. He talked about enmities, when you are hateful toward other people, when you are hostile toward other people, when you are making enemies with other people and you enjoy it. You think that making enemies with people is good. He talked about strife, where we love to argue over trivial things, where we love to argue over personal preferences. He talked about jealousy, when we're pridefully competitive, and that competition moves us to outbursts of anger, and, and we lose our temper consistently with just about anybody and everybody that we come into contact with on any given week. He talked about disputes, when we, we fight with other people to get our way, when we fight with other people to make a name for ourselves. He talked about dissensions, little cliques and little groups that, that meet together and have these unnecessary personal agendas. Not things that are good for the kingdom, not things that are good for the gospel, not even things that are good for other people, but just good for you. Dissensions and factions and heresies. People who, who twist God's truth around to try to get some selfish gain for themselves. He talked about envying when we hate when good things happen to other people. He talked about drunkenness and carousing and, and wild late night parties. 
So just think through those things. Is, is there anything in there that applies to you? I know it's kind of easy for us to go, oh, no, I don't do any carousing. I don't have any wild late night parties. All right, how, how are you doing it at jealousy? How are you doing it at flaunting a lustful attitude with what you wear? How are you doing it making enemies and enjoying it? How are you doing it losing your temper all the time? How are you doing it hating when good things happen to other people? It's kind of easy for us to to overlook things that, that might actually be normal routines in our lives. So just thinking through those deeds of the flesh, is, is that how you talk to yourself? Is that how you preach to yourself? Are those the things that are defining your life? If so, then please understand you are functioning as a spiritually insane person. <laughs> You're choosing the sewer water over the fresh spring water. Paul wasn't just talking about random family values and what he described either. Now we're talking about attitudes and actions that can mark pastors and elders and deacons and church members who sit in churches every Sunday all year long. Scotty Smith said this, prodigals on an island of self-sufficiency are often harder to reach than prodigals on a hedonistic holiday. In other words, if you're a self-made man, a self-made woman, and you're full of your independence, you are hard to reach for God. Because you're convinced that you're okay and you made it happen on your own. So you could be a prodigal on an island of immorality, or you could be a prodigal on an island of morality. So what brought the prodigal to his senses? Well, he was hungry. That'll do it, right? He was hungry. And his, his hunger just stirred in him the sense of desperation that he had never experienced before. He always had plenty of food at his father's house. And boy, he had had some fantastic food in the recent months as he was blowing through his money. But now he's got nothing and he is hungry. And his hunger stirs him to desperation, his desperation causing him to come to his senses. Listen, your immorality will never satisfy the hunger of your soul. And likewise, your morality will never satisfy the hunger of your soul. There's only one thing that can satisfy your soul. Only one. And I share this one thing with, with no hint of being rude or narrow-minded or unnecessarily exclusive. I share this one thing without some foolish notion of, of loving fantasy or fairy tale. Now, I say this one thing with grace and joy and mercy and love and confidence and hope and a genuine desire to honor God, but also to help you. And he, here's that one thing. The only thing that can ultimately satisfy your soul is Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. That's it. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. So come to Jesus. 
come to Jesus and live.